0: When uh, my wife, uh, Amy, turned 50, I uh, planned a surprise uh, dinner party for her, just a year or two ago, and uh, (laughs) her closest family lived about four hours away. And so my mission was to find a restaurant that was somewhat uh, located midway between, and it needed, because of uh, dietary restrictions of some of the family, uh, some gluten-free menu options. And, of course, a space for a group of our size and a specific date and, and a place Amy liked. So after a lot of uh, web searches and phone calls, it came down to two choices, really. Restaurant A uh, had a, uh, a good private room. It had a full gluten-free menu and some good reviews. Never been there, but uh, it was an option, surely. Restaurant B uh, had some good space and good reviews, it not as fancy as Restaurant A, Uh, And it only offered two gluten-free options on the menu. But most important, I knew Amy liked Restaurant B. I knew that. I wasn't guessing. I guess about a lot of things. She says I don't know her after all these years, but (laughs) I knew that. And so I picked that restaurant, we scheduled it, and I sent out the invitations, and uh, not everyone could come. There were a few that the, the date just wasn't possible. But no one... Uh, refused to join the celebration because of the choice of location or the choice of restaurant. No one said, oh, we're not coming because of that. And now, since the restaurant was at least two hours from our house, I, I needed a way to get Amy there without suspecting anything. And remembering that my friend Todd was pastoring a church in that area, I had him leave me a voicemail inviting me to dinner at that restaurant and saying, at the end, "Make sure to bring Amy." Uh, and so I played that for her, and uh, uh, she, I said, "Honey, you have to go. He wants you to come." So uh, she went along expecting to uh, be in a meeting with a bunch of pastors and their wives, and what a surprise when she walked into this gathering of family and friends. Well, I'll come back to that story in a moment because it's an example of what I see as an important concept that we're going to talk about today. Today, as we continue our series on the marks of a disciple, uh, our focus is genuine worship. And we're going to look at what I see as the most definitive statement on worship in the Bible spoken of by Jesus himself. It's recorded in John 4. And this scene, familiar as it is, opens with Jesus sitting beside a well, tired out from a long journey. He was alone because his disciples had gone grocery shopping. And a woman arrives at that well, and Jesus asks her for a drink. Uh, This is shocking to her. It's scandalous. Why? Well, because of gender bias and because of ethnic prejudice. She was, first of all, a woman. He was a Jewish male. And the rabbis, the Jewish teachers, said it is forbidden for a man to give a woman any greeting. Uh, They should not be talking to someone else's wife in any way, shape, or form to create gossip. But the bigger problem was that she was a Samaritan woman. And as verse 9 of John 4 explains, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. There was animosity between these two people groups. There was a deep divide of religion, of culture, a history of bad blood. And if you wanted to insult the Jew, you would call him a Samaritan. And yet Jesus breaks all these social rules by engaging this woman. And in their conversation, we discover another reason why it was scandalous for Jesus to talk with her. She says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You've had five husbands and now you're living with your boyfriend. And she had to be shocked at this, that Jesus would know this information about a perfect stranger. And she says in verse 19, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So I think immediately she changes the subject. She might be uncomfortable talking about her personal uh, lifestyle choices, but, but also perceiving that Jesus might be some sort of a prophet, she has a question that she wants an answer to about worship. Her religious custom said that worship had to happen on this mountain, and while the Jews said that it had to happen in Jerusalem. Which one is right, she wants to know. She's concerned about superficial issues regarding worship. And she mentions here the fathers. In other words, this is about tradition. This is about ritual, religious custom, and she asks about mountain or temple. And so it's about geography, location, sacred space. And Jesus takes the subject to a whole different level when in verse 21, he says, What well, he cuts to the core of what genuine worship is. In verse 21, he explodes these categories and says, Genuine worship has nothing to do with geography. It's not a particular location, it's not Jerusalem, it's not the mountain. The essence of worship is not found in this special location. And that's astounding. For the holy city of Jerusalem was the center of Jewish worship. And how could an observant Jew, as Jesus was, say such a thing? But Jesus declares, things have changed. So here's the key statement about genuine worship. Verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and and truth. So the grammatical emphasis of this sentence is on the word true, which means genuine, real, authentic. The only people who are genuinely worshiping are those who worship in spirit and truth. Anything else isn't real. Genuine worship is not confined to a location. True worship is not a continuation of a human tradition. The only acceptable worship happens in spirit and truth. And the Greek phrase, kai aletheia, in spirit and truth. The, the, the preposition in governs both of those nouns. So uh, spirit and truth are not separate characteristics of genuine worship. They are inseparable. They are one and the same together. So what does it mean? Well, let's begin with this concept that genuine worship is only possible for the born again. As Jesus said just earlier, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and spirit. Uh, spiritual rebirth is necessary in order to truly worship. Now, my uh, daughters gave me a subscription to Ancestry.com a while back, and uh, right away I got the family tree back to my great grandfather, John Henry Buchima, my namesake. I'm his namesake, whatever that is. Uh, he was born in 1868. We never met, <laughs> and we never would meet, except I know from documents that we have both experienced a spiritual rebirth. And so we will meet one day uh, because we were born again. See, I entered the Bukema family by being born. The only way I could enter God's family was by being reborn. And that spiritual birth doesn't happen through some outward religious act, no matter what it it is. It's that, that new birth isn't passed on from family genetics or country of origin. It's an inner rebirth brought about by God himself. And without that rebirth, worship, genuine worship, cannot happen. Someone who hasn't been reborn can attend a worship service, uh, be moved by it, benefit from it, can be a, a member of the church, but they can't actually worship until they are born into the family of God. And when you have been spiritually reborn, it doesn't mean that you will automatically worship acceptably, genuinely. But it's impossible if you have not. I've seen many young people grow up in church and then go off to college and not follow Jesus. And, and some hoping to change uh, that kind of situation, say worship services must be more engaging to students. But, but that's not the real problem. The real problem is more likely that they have not been born again. They didn't know, understand, believe the good news of Jesus. Worship services should be open to all, welcoming to all, accessible to all, but only those born again by the Spirit can truly worship. Because no matter how great the music, or the liturgy, or the message, or the atmosphere, it is lifeless unless you've been reborn. And that genuine worship is only possible through Jesus. As Jesus declared, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, because a Savior has come, it's possible for sinners to be forgiven. Even an outcast woman with five ex-husbands can be forgiven. You've got to embrace this Savior or you don't know God. And that message is increasingly unpopular in our day. It sounds bigoted. It sounds narrow-minded. And because your friend who is a Muslim or a Buddhist or a Hindu or Jewish is likely going to find that offensive. Uh, You mean that unless I accept Jesus, I'm lost? That even though I'm religious? Even though I'm a good person? So that's a very delicate and difficult conversation to have, isn't it? But that's what Jesus declares. See, any act of worship, no matter how passionate and sincere, if not centered on Jesus, is not true is not genuine. It's not real. Jesus is the embodiment of truth. Now a number of years ago, the, the church I served was planning to start a Saturday night service. And so in preparation for that, I took a bunch of my staff to another church that had a, a Saturday night service to check it out. Coincidentally, it was about where that restaurant is I just told you about. Uh, our church at that time had four worship services with 2,000 people, and that church we, we went to visit had a, a six worship services with 8,000 people. And we, So we watched everything, and it was nice. It was, good things happened. But as our staff rode together on the way home, it was pointed out that not one of the songs we sang in that service mentioned the name of Jesus. Not even one. Now they sung about God, but worship can't stop there. We're not just theists who believe in a God. We are Christians who believe that God has been ultimately revealed in his son Jesus. And that's why Jesus said, if you have seen me, You've seen the Father. The Father and I are one. See, apart from Christ, we cannot worship. Uh, He is the truth that reveals who God is. So genuine worship is centered on Jesus. Let me tell you, genuine prayer is also centered on Jesus. Uh, Don't don't pray and leave out Jesus. He is our access to the Father. The eternal Son of God, who was born a virgin, carried our sins to the cross where he was put to death, but three days later raised to life, then ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father and will one day return to establish his kingdom forever. Now, Notice in what Jesus says here that God himself, the Father, is looking for this kind of worshiper. He is seeking. Zeteo is the Greek word. And it's the same word used of the shepherd who left the 99 sheep he had to go seek, to go look for the one lost sheep. It's also the word that Jesus used to describe the woman who had lost a silver coin and hunted every corner of her house looking for it. God is searching, he's hunting, he's pursuing people who are genuine worshipers. See, I take worship seriously because God is looking for it. And I picture Almighty God examining my life during the week to see if I'm worshiping with my work, worshiping with my interaction with other people, to see if those interactions are carried out with reverence to God, to see if my life and what I do is directed toward him. And that is directed toward spirit and truth worshipping him in that way. I picture the maker of the universe searching this gathering today for those who are here in spirit and truth. How much of this service is acceptable to him? Is genuine to him? How many of us are worshipping in a way that counts as genuine worship? Now what does that mean? What does spirit and truth worship look like? Well, let me share four qualities with you of spirit and truth worship. That first of all, it's alive. Jesus said the spirit gives life. That's the difference between spirit and flesh. Fleshly worship can be carried out by purely human effort and skill. Fleshly worship is about performance. It's about keeping up a tradition. It's about being entertained. Or it's about sticking with routine. Or showing off. Or making me feel better. You feel better. Or going through the motions. So any aspect of worship that becomes a show or performance for us is an abomination to God. Uh, Any aspect of worship that's mere tradition, mere ritual, is nauseating to God. If my goal is to entertain you or to impress you, you should chase me from the building. If our musicians and singers are simply performers of quality music seeking to please us, they should disband immediately. If your idea of worship is that you show up at the right place at the right time and do the right thing, that is all death. Worship in spirit is alive. And now what that will look like is different between cultures. I've participated in worship services in countries like Haiti, Thailand, Greece, Canada, Hong Kong, and Nepal. I've spoken to black churches, Chinese churches, Hispanic, Dutch, German, and Scandinavian churches. I participated in denominations such as Christian Reform, Anglican, Congregational, Assembly of God, Brethren, several kinds of Presbyterians, several kinds of Baptists, several kinds of Methodists. Some have danced and shouted. Others have barely raised an eyebrow. Uh, Some could be called Holy Rollers. Others could be called the Frozen Chosen. But in most cases, there were people who worshipped and there were people who didn't. It is the breath of the Spirit that fills us with life. And you can't fake life for very long. See, worship in Spirit is alive because it focuses on the living Jesus, and by believing, you have life in His name. So, quality of Spirit and truth worship, it's alive. Second, it's unlimited. This worship is not bound to time or place. Jesus said it's not about that mountain. It's not about Jerusalem. You see, the arrival of Jesus changed everything. Rather than being restricted to the temple or to some other sacred place, Jesus is the door to worship at any time or location. As John Piper put it, Jesus is where you meet God anywhere on the planet today. So you can worship God without coming to church. In fact, you must be worshiping God outside of this gathering. You must, or it won't be alive when we gather. Your whole life should be an act of worship because Jesus has come and he's opened up the way to God. He is our constant, unfailing access to the Almighty. Now there's also biblical instruction and example and necessity for us to gather corporately in worship because the power is multiplied when we're together. Uh, there's a combination of spiritual giftedness that we need. There, there's a combination of energy uh, when we're gathered that produces something mightier and more unique than what happens on our own. So, if this morning you are at home watching me and you don't have to be, I urge you to get out of your pajamas because you might not be able to make the 10 o'clock service at Rocky Hollow, but you can make the 11 o'clock service here. There's something unique and wonderful that happens when we gather together corporately. Now, because of Jesus. Whether there are 20 of us or 2,000 of us, we can enter the presence of God most holy. And our soul can be settled as we celebrate that we have a Savior greater than all our sin. Our Redeemer is a rock that will stand through any storm. We have unlimited access. Third, is spirit and truth worship is most concerned with God and least concerned with self. Barna Research, a few years back, found that most Americans... Expected worship to satisfy or please themselves, not to honor or please God. Well, that's a pretty shocking statement. It got worse. The report said that few worship service regulars saw worship as something they do primarily for God. A substantially large, larger percentage of attenders claim that attending worship service is something they do for personal benefit and pleasure. You know what that means. That means that most people who regularly attend church have completely misunderstood what genuine worship is about. And that means that there are some in this room who have completely misunderstood what genuine worship is. Now, my nephew Jackson is getting married this fall. Uh, it's, uh, the wedding's taking place in Pennsylvania on a Sunday, so I'm not sure I'm going to get there. But what if I did make it, and after the wedding I say, what a terrible wedding! I didn't get anything out of this at all. (laughs) Well, I'm not supposed to, am I? It's not about me. I'm there to witness. I'm there to share the joy. I'm there to express love, to bring a gift, to show support. In a far greater way, that same thing is true of worship. We gather to declare his worth. We give to him. Worship is foremost about God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yes, we can get something from that. But that can't be the goal, because when what I need, when what I want, when what I prefer becomes primary, then I've missed genuine worship altogether. The priority is God-centeredness. Fourth quality, it's worth sharing. When Jesus told the Samaritan woman that he was the Messiah, she left her water jar where it was and went back to her town, and she said, come and see Come and see. I believe it's the Christ. Come and see. And they all went out to see Jesus. And many believed because of her testimony. So this gal with five ex-husbands living with her boyfriend had met Jesus, the Savior who's able to rescue everyone and anyone, regardless of gender, nationality, or depth of sin. And that's good news. That's good news. As an eight-year-old, I tried to witness to my neighborhood friend. I think his name was Billy. Billy. But frankly, because I hadn't experienced much of the beauty of Jesus, because at that age, I I didn't appreciate yet how Jesus gives meaning and purpose and power for life now as well as eternal life to come. So basically, I tried to bribe Billy into heaven. (laughs) I gave him the promise of unlimited ice cream. He brought up the ice cream. And I said, well, in heaven, it's probably all you can eat. So as an eight-year-old, that's like the thing that you stand up for. Uh, when I shared mom with my mother that I had uh, done this, she, she let me know in a kind way that that was basically unbiblical and I should stop. <laughs> but let, when you experience genuine worship in spirit and truth, it fuels you with a vision of God's glory. Your soul is stirred By the grace and mercy of your Savior. Your mind is ignited by the knowledge of your Creator, your Redeemer, your Friend. Worship in Spirit and Truth stirs you to share with others the reality that you've experienced. This woman invited her town to come and see the Christ. But so often, so often, American churches market themselves in a very different way. Come and see a fantastic choir. Come and see a great band. Come and see a program your kids will love. Come and see our impressive building. Come and have good coffee. Come come and hear this dynamic Bible teaching. Come and see our great missions program. No, no, no. Come and see a church that's all about Jesus. We enter God's presence through Jesus. He is the door. He is the only way. In him is real life. See, genuine worshipers are inspired to share the reality of Jesus with others. Worship flows into mission. We invite others to meet Jesus and to become worshipers too. So remember how I I planned my wife's special birthday dinner. The people I invited were all important in Amy's life. Uh, Even though not all could be there, we had a great time. I wanted to do what I could to accommodate the needs of our guests. So I looked for a restaurant that was centrally located, one that offered gluten-free options, one that had nice atmosphere and good food and adequate space. And the restaurant that I chose met the most important, as I saw it, criteria. I knew Amy liked it. And even though it wasn't everyone's favorite style of cuisine, no one complained, no one refused to celebrate. Why? Because it was Amy's party. Some of the guests were gluten-free and had only two choices on the menu, while the rest of us had a full menu. But they didn't get mad. They didn't accuse me of not caring about them. Why? Well, it was Amy's party. This was in her honor, and the focus was on what pleased her. And that must be our approach for worshiping God. This party is for him. A disciple is therefore marked by worship that focuses on the guest of honor. It's not that our desires and our wants and our needs are unimportant, but they come well down the list, far down the list of priorities. And it's our human tendency to put our preferences first. But the Father is seeking genuine worshipers who come to Him in spirit and truth. That's the mark of a disciple. Our mission as a church is to make disciples That is, those who are totally attached to Jesus, who bind themselves to follow him. And if you are a disciple, you will genuinely praise and honor and adore the Lord. He will be the focus of your joy and reverence in worship. Jesus said, that's what the Father is looking for. See, God is searching for spiritually alive people who honor him through Jesus. And through the years... I've heard lots of different complaints about worship services, and I can testify that the grievances I hear almost never have anything to do with spirit and truth. It's about style of music, or types of instruments, or sound levels, or lighting, or the amount of standing or sitting, the absence of the flag or the time of the service or that I didn't wear a tie or that I did wear a tie or that it's too dark in here or too bright in here or too soft or too loud or too early or too late or too boisterous or too somber. None of these have anything to do with genuine worship. And if it crosses your mind at all that you can't worship unless there's an organ, which we didn't have today, or you can't worship unless there are guitars or a choir or drums or a haze machine or classic hymns or contemporary songs, Then, then you're missing genuine worship entirely. Jesus is the way. I long to see the day when we gather to worship, and we are so caught up in the wonder of God that everything else fades into the background. For all of us who have been made alive in Christ, Let's keep our focus centered on the guest of honor. Because when we do, the splendor, the majesty, the blessing and glory of the almighty Lord of the universe will overwhelm us. And we can tell our city, come and see Jesus. Would you stand and receive this benediction? God, our Father, you are looking for genuine worshipers today. For every one of us who has been born again by the Spirit through faith in Jesus, empower us to honor you above all else. Free us from our pettiness. Clear away the mists and fog of our short-sightedness so that we can see the Lord of glory. Overwhelm us with your majesty, not simply in this room, but everywhere we go.